Welcome in to Revealing Grace. This is a podcast focused on the revelation of God's redeeming grace throughout all of Scripture and the power that it has to transform lives eternally. I'm Chris Sobak, and in a moment you'll hear from Dr. Brian Chappell. In this episode, we'll be discussing a passage in Revelation 12. Now, not only does this passage give us a picture of what is to come, but we will find hope in knowing that Christ has already won the great battle with Satan. This does not keep Satan from attacking us, and we will discuss ways in which he does this, but as we contemplate the battle which is happening in the spiritual realm, we will investigate its impact on the events in the physical realm as well. This is a companion piece, really, for the sermon that Brian gave. So if you're interested in listening to that full sermon, you can go to brianchapel.com and look up the sermon on Revelation 12. I hope you enjoy this episode as we discuss the victory that is found in Christ and the future that is to come as is revealed in Revelation 12. Well, Brian, as we start this episode, it is... Uh, first time in a long time that we actually can see each other more face to face, still on opposite sides of the room. Uh, but, uh, but as we have a beautiful sunny day, sun shining through the window, uh, it feels like, uh, there's a little bit of, of hope versus some of the, the, uh, stuff that we're still dealing with the pandemic. I'm glad to actually be at least a little bit closer to you. Yeah. It is a very different world, uh, that we are in from what we were in just a few months ago, but yes, now we're we're back trying to do something studio wise to yeah develop our podcast. Yeah, um, well, still want to do the revealing question, and so I was thinking, um, you know, we're in we're still in the middle of a pandemic, but one of the things that's come out of that is uh, the use of technology to allow us to to at least feel closer to each other, which I'm very thankful for. Assuming that that were to go away for whatever reason, and we were to have to use some some older technology, would you rather, here's the question, would you rather have to use Morse code or homing pigeons? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the, the pet lover in me wants the homing pigeons. I mean, that would be pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but the efficiency in me would want to do it by Morse code. So. Do you know Morse code? SOS, I know. Oh, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's about as far. Hey, Once upon a time, that would be I, appropriate, though, as a whole, right now. So yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. When I was a Boy Scout years ago, I memorized Morse code, but it's it's gone. Yeah, I used to know how to spell my name. That was, you know, and SOS. So that's, that's about it. But okay, well, yeah, I I do think that the homing pigeons would be amazing. I don't know how effective or uh, how quickly <laughs> the message would be communicated, but but that would be something. Um, but thankful that we do have the technology that we've been able to communicate. So uh, over the last, it's almost been a full year uh, now, uh, you've been preaching uh, messages through the Bible, uh, through the Bible in a year has, has been the sermon series. And as we're in Revelation, we're, we're really coming close to the end of that series. Uh, this sermon was focused on Revelation 12, um, which really was kind of focusing on what, what was and is and is to come. What was kind of your thought process as you prepared this sermon? Well, you wonder uh, what it was the Apostle John's thought process, I mm, think, yeah, because you end up with these wild images of a woman and a serpent and a son and the serpent who's waiting to devour the child when it's born and trying to put all that together. 
And then you find out that the images themselves have a reference in earlier scripture. And that's important since you're not just kind of by conjecture or speculation saying, well, you know, I'm going to assume it means this. But when you're finding out that there are uh, anchors in the scriptures where those symbols are connected to something, then you understand why John would be saying something like, I'm, I saw this sign in heaven. This sign symbolizes something other than itself, right? So it's pointing to something. And so you start looking for those images. And that's where actually having talked through the Bible in a year that you're saying, oh, you know, I had I not gone through the whole Bible, I would not have seen how this ties to that. And uh, that's actually for me, Chris, it's a great blessing because the more I study the scripture, the more I recognize the miracle of it, Mm. that it's astounding that over so many centuries, so many different writers could be on the same message, that it ties together, that it relates to Christ's redemption from beginning to end, and you think, that that's supernatural, yeah. and, and it actually is. So that's a cool thing to see how something at the very end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, is so closely tied to images and truths that are presented at the very beginning of the Bible. Admittedly, I, for myself, when I was younger, um, and I probably even now, at times I think of Revelation as like something completely different from the rest of the Bible. Like there, there's some of the imagery that's used, and it just feels at times like like this is this is a lot different than than going through you know the Old Testament books of the Bible. But to be able to see that there really is that thread interwoven through all of it, um, I think is for me really rewarding and and encouraging. Um, and, and insightful, like as you were pointing out, there are there's imagery that as you begin to understand more of what it means, then you realize that, oh, this is the continuation of the story or at times even a recap of, of some of what the rest of the Bible has, has shared. And that often surprises us, I think, in Revelation. If you're a Christian for long, you recognize Revelation is all about that future things often yeah. so mysterious to us, you know, what's going to happen in the future. But here we are in Revelation 12, right in the middle of the book of Revelation, and we have so many images that come from the very first chapters of the Bible as a whole from the very beginning. And so you recognize that what John is doing there is he's saying, you know what I'm telling you about what's going to happen in the future? It's connected to what happened in the past. And and we intersect those two pieces, right? So there's a long-distance past he's going to tell us about preparing for a long-distance future, and it's kind of saying, but that's knowing both what's led to this and where it's going, you're prepared to handle today. And that's what John is doing. He's, he's saying to Christians who are undergoing a lot of misery and pain and uncertainty, um, you know, God put the train on the tracks. He knows where it's going, and let me tell you where it's going so you don't give up in the meantime here. Mm. You know, as we look through through the scriptures and look through this passage, um, one of the things that that is highlighted is the fact that there has been this battle back and forth um, where Satan's trying trying his hardest to you know attack God's people to um, to undermine um, the the ultimate plan that God has in place and um, you talk about how many times throughout scripture that covenant purpose of God came within one life of being exterminated um, and just being able to highlight that over and over again. After it, my wife said, you've done that in other sermons. (laughs) (laughs) And I well, yeah, because it's important. Um, But I find so many people don't get the storyline that's Mm. unfolding. 
that just as John is saying there in Revelation, that there's, there's an anticipated child to be born yeah. from the time of Eve forward, and Satan's going to try to stop it. And the, the battle that's on is not just um, imagistic. I mean, there, mm-hmm. there are real lives that, that are being sacrificed, and Satan is evil, and Satan is trying to bring God's plan to an end. And that understanding uh, helps you see why critical it was that God kept preserving over and over again, Satan could do his worst, and God would always provide the the life to maintain his covenant purposes. Hmm. One of the things you highlighted was perhaps our general cultural view of Satan versus the reality um, of, of what he is doing and, and how he is... Um, working against us. Uh, so maybe you could share a picture of, of maybe uh, a healthy perspective uh, of, of who Satan is. Well, the way that John is presenting uh, the ancient serpent, which is Satan, our adversary, and he uses different words here, again, to keep tying things back together. So in the garden, who tempted Adam and Eve? It was, it was the serpent. And now John is going to refer to the serpent who is still trying to stop the son being born to the woman who gives birth in pain. You know, all these early Genesis references that are coming forward. And you begin to recognize that what Satan is, is somebody with great perception and great power who is still able to be defeated. Yeah. And that's why he's fighting so much. So there's odd images, and it's why we need other portions of the Bible. You know, one of our, our key uh, ways of interpreting the Bible is more clear passages interpret less clear passages and not the other way around. And so we see this serpent, this adversary, this spiritual evil. It has multiple heads and, and as a consequence, multiple eyes and ears. And you think, what, what is all that about? Well, it's not just saying that Satan is going to be, you know, have be like Medusa, you know, have a bunch of heads. That's really not the point. The point is what Daniel was reminding us that that evil in the world can have multiple per, multiple perceptions, eyes and uh, ears, and you know, it it perceives more and better than we do. And we are being warned about our adversary, Satan, that, uh, you know, as Martin Luther said, you know, his craft and power are great and armed with cruel aid and on earth is not his equal. That you and I are to understand that, that Satan has great perception and great power and we are not his equal. You know, don't think that you can just in your own strength and power go up against the evil of Satan as it is asserted in this world and you're going to be up to it that you're going to need the help of someone else. And uh, that awful image of Satan who is going to try to stop the plan of God has power and perception to do so, but it's not ultimate. It, it's not undefeatable, but it's not defeatable by you and me. It's in Christ, united to him and his power. And that's why Satan has always wanted to stop Christ from coming into the world, knowing there is his adversary who's going to be able to defeat him. Hmm. Uh, another one of those things that you you mentioned in the sermon or, or highlighted for a while was uh, some of the ways in which Satan lies to us, and that's by providing a little bit of truth. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah. and and you used a lot of different examples. For me, it was super impactful. So, um, what are some of those maybe 
little half truths that that Satan will use? Well, Satan is our adversary, and he's called the devil, which in the Bible, and every name has significance, right? So Satan means he's going to try to oppose you, and he's going to try to oppose Christ in you. He's your adversary. But devil has this has the sense of it's kind of dual things at once. He's the accuser, but he's deceiving you by accusing you. Because what happens when when we are accused is we say, well, then God doesn't love me. My sin is too great for me to be cared for by God. So it's it's both accusation that leads to deception regarding your status and standing before God. And so when we are told that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, you've heard me say this before, Chris, it's, it's reminding us who is it that wants you to serve God but with this huge burden of guilt on your back or shame. I mean, who wants all that baggage? Well, Satan actually wants you to feel bad mm. so that you're bowed down and inactive and unwilling to do the things of God. And so that, that is Satan's accusation. And then what he accuses you of are things, I mean, he's not, he, he's not accusing you of being able to, what, to, uh, to lift uh, a thousand pounds. He's not accusing, what's he accusing you of? He's accusing you of not doing your exercises, <laughs> um, which is true sometimes. And, and he's looking at the things that are harmful in your life, at, at the relationships that are broken, and saying, you know what? You did the wrong stuff. You messed up. You said the wrong thing. You, you didn't do what. And, and anybody who's honest knows there's some truth in there, that whether it's the broken relationship or I'm, I'm unhealthy, uh, and, and we can begin to think, you know, well, God is punishing me because I was not faithful enough. Mm. Well, there's no one who's perfectly faithful. So Satan can take those, those sometime truths, those half-truths, and make us doubt the nature of God and our relationship with him because he's going to deceive us by the accusations. Others have written, it's not, not original to me, that what an accusation ultimately is trying to do is to control you. And so if Satan can make you guilty, he's ultimately going to help you. He's actually going to work in such a way that you are not going to be able to fully do the work of God because that's his purpose of an accusing you, to keep you from fulfilling God's purposes in your life, even if it's just witnessing his grace. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not going to be what you do. And so all the questions in our hearts, Satan kind of brings to heart and mind. And I'm not going to tell you, I know all those spiritual dynamics. How does that work? Sure. But that, you know, Satan is going to highlight those things in mind and conscience and experience that make us doubt ourselves, doubt our Savior, and doubt our relationship with him. Hmm. I, I've never thought of it quite in that way. It's, a, it's an interesting way of thinking of it. Like our... Um, self-righteousness, you know, or our, our thinking that we're being better Christians is actually in some ways at times something that, that Satan would desire for us to be trying to do all these good works. Um, I so, don't know. It's just well, a, so that your frustration ultimately destroys you. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, but it, I mean, Chris, when you've you pastored a bit and you, you recognize you run into the people over and over again, my wife had a miscarriage yesterday. God is punishing us for And then they mention something that actually has some truth in it. But what they've just done is they've turned God into Satan. Mm. 
right? Yeah. That that he's just going to exact his pound of flesh he's vengeful. because he because he's vengeful and he's yeah. going to get you because you did that. And says, like, no, no, no. He took out his pound of flesh on his son, mm. and that's done. And now, whatever happens, and not everything that happens is pleasant, as we understand. But but nothing is going to enter our lives now that is is not in God's purpose of ultimately blessing us. He only intends good for His children. Now it's a fallen, it's a broken world, and and yet God is not going to say, "I'm now going to hurt you because you crossed me." No, uh, no more punishment. Right? The punishment's done. That was all put on Christ. Mm -hmm. There may be discipline. There may be discipline. But the goal is to build us up, not to tear us down, not not to punish us again for the penalty that was put on Christ. And so Satan can take the thing. No one is perfect. Everyone has things that make them ashamed. And therefore, every bad thing that happens in our lives, Satan's going to accuse. And we have to say, now listen, what does the Bible say? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And while a father may discipline us, uh, our God no longer punishes us in the sense of putting more penalty on us for our wrong, for our wrongdoing. That has been taken by Christ. Like, that almost answers my, my next question, and that is, um, really, what sort of message of hope would you want to leave people with um, as, as maybe they, they read through this passage of Scripture? Well, I, th- I think it's the message of hope that you, you alluded to it at the beginning, that this passage is not just telling us what was or even what is, but what is to come. Mm. And, and that message is that there, there, is, there is life ahead. You know, this testimony of one who accuses us, we are told with candor and honesty so that we not only face him with spiritual awareness, right? You're not just fighting flesh and blood. You are fighting a spiritual entity that desires to deceive and crush you with fear and doubt and guilt, but that's not the end of the story. God will crush him, and there's a song about the great victory of the God who will send the one who will crush Satan. Satan will not win, and but there's a warning, you know, and the warning, it's curious how many of these passages at the end of the Bible are ending with those two things together. There is the song of thanksgiving for what God has done, and then there's warning to say, so flee to him. Mm-hmm. You know, don't, don't end up outside the purposes of God or outside his grace by not claiming it, by not and, – and God is I, – I, sometimes when you're preaching, it doesn't feel quite right because you always want to end on the high note, hmm. right? Yeah. And it's, it's hard to remind people, uh, if God did not love you, he would not warn you. That, that a warning is a loving thing to do. And so even as there is this, this ecstatic reference to the greatness of God here in these last chapters of the Bible, this greatness of what God will do through his son, the son was born uh, that was promised to Eve so long ago, and he is crushing Satan, and Satan will not have the victory. So why would you be in the territory of Satan when the goodness of God is promised? And so there is a, a great presentation of the glories of the kingdom of God, but also a clear warning. Don't, don't be outside the kingdom. Claim the victory that is yours. Claim the grace that is yours. Name the Savior that is yours. And don't doubt his intentions for you. Well, and I feel there's a, there's a difference between a threat and a warning, right? So like, like 
God is not like taunting us and threatening us so much as there are consequences. Uh, consequences, of right. course. A, but, a, yeah. a, a parent who loves you says, you know, if you touch the stove, you're going to get burned. Yeah. You know, that's is that a threat or a warning? That's a warning. It's not. Sa- it's not saying you know. It, it, I'm going to delight for you to touch the stove, so you'll get hurt. That, that's that's because I don't like you, and you crossed me. Yeah. That's not the point. Yeah. The point is there are consequences for sin, and there are consequences of not making Christ your Savior because you are depending on you rather than He who offers you Himself. Hmm. Yeah, that's so encouraging um, to. To just be reminded, I mean, the things that, that, that God warns us of, the things that he shares for us, it is, it's for our good, you know, and I mean, that's, that, that is God's nature. That is. And Chris, you know, it was interesting for me to hear people after that message talk about what, what seemed to strike them the most was to recognize that the guilt that they feel so daily, that they accuse themselves of when they go through hard times as persons or as families, they begin to recognize, you know, I've... I've Listen to that accusation. Yeah. And I get that. For me, the harder thing to try to express, and, and I don't know how you received it uh, you, you, yourself, was to say that in this amazing but also peculiar passage, you have Satan being defeated by Michael, the archangel of God, and that that spiritual warfare is being paralleled by the blessing that's coming to God's people, that that we experience on earth in our lives the blessing of the spiritual battles being won by those who are serving our Savior. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's the message of, of the book of Daniel as well, that God's people are released after Michael has a great victory over the, the prince of Persia. And you get this conflation of the spiritual and material world and we're meant to understand that 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 it's almost like there are two universes that are on parallel tracks and what is happening in heaven is actually what is controlling what's happening on earth Mm. and we think just because we're operating on the earthly track that that's the only track there is and the book of revelation in particular and a lot of what's known as that apocalyptic literature that that revelation materials revealing what's going on is telling us not just what's happening on the earthly track but what's happening on the spiritual heavenly track as well what's happening in the spiritual realm to say i'm going to show you pull back the curtain here's what's happening in the spiritual realm so that you're not banking or depending entirely on what's happening in the physical realm, that there's there's another dimension that you need to know so that you're fully prepared for the dimension that you're in. Do you find it comforting to to know that there's all this stuff happening in this, this other dimension, if you will? Um, I find it comforting. I find it uh, revealing and I find it sometimes arresting mm-hmm. that that I the world I see is not all the world there is, yeah. and the reality that I sense and sometimes take for granted, I need to expand by my prayer, by my faith, by my trust, into believing that God is working far more than I could ask or imagine, not just in the world that is before me, uh, before my eyes, but in the world that is before God's eyes both earthly and spiritual. And, and, 
and the curious thing for us is to recognize that what's happening in the spiritual realm is actually what is controlling what's happening in the physical realm. So that when we when we read the the Apostle Paul, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We come, well, yeah, I do. It's my mean boss. Yeah. It, it's it's my uh, difficult neighbor. It, you know, they're the ones I'm struggling with. And, and I go, well, I say, God say, well, actually, there are spiritual forces that are controlling. You need to be praying about that because there's a spiritual dynamic here that is actually more powerful than the earthly thing that you're witnessing and wrestling with. There's a spiritual dynamic that you need to be praying about. It's so profound. You know, I know it goes to an extent beyond what we can comprehend, um, but it, it, it is it brings wonder and awe uh, to to realize that there's so much that's happening, um, and that that God is constantly and and His angels and are constantly fighting. The good fight, if you will, and they're and they're fighting for us. Like we're not we're not alone in this. No, and and humility to say, I cannot, should not even try to handle this on my own. Yeah. But be praying that the Lord would work beyond the human conversation, work beyond the human means, because if we're just depending on that, you know, we're we're hardly employing all that is the true power of the Lord in our behalf. So we pray, Lord, not just in my realm, but in your realm. Please be doing that which I need to honor you. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Revealing Grace. I really hope that it's been a blessing to you. And I know it's been an encouragement to me throughout uh, this entire sermon series from Brian as we talk about that message of the gospel and of grace being interwoven throughout all of Scripture. If you have enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to check out previous episodes. Uh, There's a lot of of great content that's there available for you. Um, Also, if you have not yet subscribed, I would encourage you to do that as well uh, to make sure that you will be notified anytime there is a new episode that's available. If you have any questions for the podcast, you can email them to revealinggrace at brianchapel.com and we will take a look at those and maybe answer them as part of the next episode of the podcast. And also, if you have wanted to hear the full sermons that we have been discussing, you can go to brianchapel.com and you can search by topic or by passage. And um, there's so many sermons that Brian has preached that are available there for you to listen to, uh, to view the videos of them for free. Uh, So I would encourage you to check that out. Uh, While you're at brianchapel.com, I would encourage you to check out all the free resources that are available to you from videos to um, there's sermon notes for all these sermons. Um, There's just different uh, tips and advice. So check that out. Also, if you are seeking additional training Training, pastoral and ministry training, uh, check out the online courses. We now have a subscription service that is available that um, provides an opportunity for you to receive teaching and training directly from Brian Chapel, and it is at a very uh, reasonable monthly fee. So uh, really check that out, and uh, I hope that that can, can help you in your ministry. Thank you once again for joining us, and I hope that you can feel encouraged today. I pray that you will just be reminded of how God has won the battle for us and that there is freedom in Christ. So join us again next time. 
for the next episode of Revealing Grace.